Good morning again. Man, what a sweet time of worshiping Jesus together. Uh, he is more than enough, and that's so great. If you're new with us, we've been, um, we started a series last week thinking about Jesus in 3D and three dimension, Jesus in his humanity, Jesus while he was here. And we, we took it from Luke chapter 2, verse 52, uh, also verse 40, but it tells us that Jesus grew in stature and w- in wisdom and stature and favor uh, with God and with people. And the question is, God the Son, how does he grow in anything? What does that mean? And so last week we, we thought about how Jesus grew in wisdom and how we can grow in wisdom. And this week we're going to think about, or today we're going to reflect on how Jesus grew in stature and what that means for us. Um, because there's at least four implications of Jesus's humanity. Now, there's whole theological books, systematic theology books, just books on this one thing. There was a council at Chalcedon uh, a couple years ago. There's a lot about Jesus's humanness, his human nature that he added. And today, we're just going to reflect on just a small portion of it, because in Jesus's humanity, you and I have something to learn. And I know this because I, I pay attention to myself and children. Uh, if you don't know what this is, this is a soccer ball. Uh, Courtney, and I, not a real one, obviously, it's a little small. Or I'm huge up here, if you're watching online. This is, this is a very small handball. A uh, handball that looks like a soccer ball. And Courtney and I decided to put four of our five children in soccer at the same time. And yeah, yeah, I hear some laughs from you older parents who know better. Right, we're learners. We're learning. It's a process. Uh, But what's funny about sports and our children is when we got our kids into sports, a few of them, to my surprise, but I shouldn't be surprised, after day one of practice, we get them in there, they get out there, they're like, yeah, we want to do this, we're so excited. In the middle of practice... At least one of my kids comes back and goes, I can't do this. I'll never be able to do this. I can't play. I can't play soccer. I I don't want to do this. And I'm like, okay, hold off, Ronaldo, right? Like, you just started. You are elementary. You, You can't be a professional soccer player when you're five, when you're seven. You're not gonna be amazing at this sport. You have to grow, you have to learn, you have to practice. Uh, you know, any of you basketball players out there, I hear there's basketball going on right now. Uh, I don't know, it sounds like madness to me, but uh, there's all this basketball, and you know, one of my kids really loves basketball, and he's actually really good at it, and I just love his spirit, but he got discouraged a while back because he's like, I can't be as good as like this other kid, and there's maybe another kid that's supposedly really good, and I'm like, dude, you're just a kid, enjoy it. You're not going to be perfect. And so I have my dad hat on. I have my mature hat on. And I'm like, listen, right? You shouldn't struggle with this because it's not a big deal. You don't have to worry about it. All of us deal with this. You know, you're just a kid. Okay, enter last week. My friends decided as a gift to me that they would pay for me to have drum lessons. I, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's pray. (laughs) I'm done. Uh, 
anyway, as a gift to me, they wanted, they wanted me to learn drum lessons because I'm a drummer wannabe at heart. I mean, even when I'm worshiping, when I'm, when I, this morning, uh, when I'm worshiping, there are moments where I imagine I'm in heaven and my head is bowed and my hands are raised and I'm just like, to you, all the glory, you are the one, I love you. You designed me to worship you and when I'm worshiping you, that's me at what I'm supposed to do. And I just imagine, and sometimes in that same, my eyes closed, I imagine I'm in heaven and like people that can sing are singing, right? There's some of you who sing beautifully, I cannot sing. But I imagine that I've got this like 30-piece drum kit. It's, it's, in, it's impossible. It's not a real thing. But I just imagine there's this big spread of these different drums that make it, and I'm just up there hitting the right notes, and all of heaven is just worshiping God, and I get to be a background. No one sees me except Him, and I'm just playing these drums, and people are singing to Him, and I just imagine I'm playing this instrument for you, you created noise and music. You created sound and rhythm and beat. You created this, and I'm doing this for you, and you made me to do this for you. This is me doing what I was meant to do. So my friends know this about me, and they decided I'm gonna, they're going to give me drum lessons, and Kyle gave me drum lessons last week. And wouldn't you know it, lesson number one, I get done. He spends about 40 minutes with me. Uh, which I'm sure should cost about $1,000 because he's an amazing musician, but he spent some time with me. But I went home super discouraged. I thought I knew how to keep a beat. In my mind, I can't. In my mind, it's great. You guys should hear it. I mean, you can't, but you should. You should you'd be impressed if you could hear what's actually. So I wanted to share something this is what I was so discouraged about. This is, uh, I think it's called Four on the Floor, and then there's another beat. I, I'm not very sophisticated. I'm also not syncopated. And if you don't know what that means, I, I can't do this. But I wanted to share with you week one. Yeah, 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 no. Okay. That's okay. This, this is what I cannot get right. It's one and two, and then you hit in between the notes, and then four. Listen to this. I can't get it. I can't get it. Okay. Now, but a real drummer, listen, this is what, just listen to, just listen to Austin. So that's what I hear in my mind when I'm back there. <laughs> that's what I want to do. Let me just tell you, I cannot do that. I cannot even almost do that. And I tried to, I sat here, I actually came early on to like the next morning, Thursday I think it was, I, or one day, I came here and I was playing and I tried my heart. I listened to music in my ear and tried it and I just couldn't stick with the metronome. And I was discouraged. I was just pouting. I was like, God, I'll never be able to do this. I, I don't even, I thought I, I'm just, I'm just broken. I'm just not special. I'm not talented. I don't know how to do things like when other people do it and you're just like, wow. 
I don't have anything like that in my life. And I remember going home and just thinking, I should just quit. Have you ever felt that way? I just want to quit. I'm no good at this. Uh, I brought a golf club with me. I'm not going to sp- waste time to get it, but uh, I-, I went golfing with somebody and I brought a bag of like 10 golf clubs. Come to find out, with nine of them, I can dig a hole. And with one of them, right? Like, you know how excava- excavators dig a hole? I can do that with a, glub- a club. I can actually do that. You're not supposed to, though. You're not spo- you could pour sand on it and it's like it never happened, but you're not supposed to do that. Uh, have you ever been discouraged? Well, I went home discouraged, and it's like God nudged me and said, okay, Mr. Dad, who's been trying to teach his kids it's okay, you're not going to be great at this firsthand. Where's your maturity? Don't you know that you have to grow into this? And, you know, like, I feel very comfortable with Jesus, so I'm like, yeah, I know. You know, I just, I feel that way, like, I know I need to learn this lesson again. We humans have a weakness with our weakness. Do you know what I mean by that? We have a weakness when it comes to our weaknesses. It's hard for us to accept that growth is a process, that maturing and growing is hard and takes time, and you're not going to be perfect at it. And that's what we learn from Jesus' life. Jesus put on flesh, put on human nature for us, which we'll find out, but he had to go through the process. So, I want to look at the scriptures briefly and just think about the four implications of Jesus's humanity, because he can relate to us in our weakness. He can relate to us in our humanness. He knows what it's like. So if you turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and verse 52, I want to read these verses and I want you to really take it in because when we think of Jesus, we think of him in his deity, which is great. We should. He is God the Son. But we forget about his human nature. It's been 2,000 years. It's been a long time. He's not here in the flesh with us. It's easy for us to forget. So let's remind ourselves again. Luke 2, verse 40 and 52. The boy, speaking of Jesus, grew up and became strong. Just think about that. He grew up and he became strong. He didn't enter in strong. He didn't have all the abilities, all the skills all the coordination. He didn't come walking right away. He grew up. He didn't start strong. He became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Then it almost, Luke almost repeats those four, these three attributes again. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Last week, we reflected on how he grew in wisdom and how we're to grow in wisdom. Today, let's reflect on He grew in stature. Jesus actually grew up and became strong. What does that mean for us? So what does stature mean? The word stature can refer to physical size and development, but it can also refer to someone's maturity and stage of life. Sometimes this word is referring to a a span of time because you have to grow through time. We're all subjugated to time. We all have to deal with time, and it's through time and process that something develops and gets better. We can become stronger. 
So stature, him growing in stature means he matured physically, but it's more than just getting bigger. It's not just that he got bigger. The fact that Jesus grew in stature and became strong has four implications, each of which can teach us a great deal about ourselves in our humanity. Because he took on humanity, he was human like us, we can learn about our own humanity. And implication number one is, and it's very intuitive, Jesus grew physically. Jesus had to grow physically. He would have developed like any other child, from infancy to adolescence to adulthood. He would have experienced normal milestones of growth, such as learning to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to interact with others and grow in his humanity. As he entered adolescence, he would have experienced physical changes associated with puberty, such as an increase in height, muscle mass, hormonal maturation. His voice changed as a teenager. He did not sound the same at 16 as he did at age 6. Jesus grew and became strong. He had to go through the process that you and I, now, it's, this isn't an easy process. He had to work and grow through this human process. Jesus in his humanity walked several miles every day. We learned that he worked hard as a craftsman. A lot of people say carpenter, but there's not a lot of wood in Israel. That word tecton for uh, he, he grew as a carpenter, it's, it's a it's a craftsman, like a, like a contractor. He worked with stone and wood. If, um, and, and there's a lot of, you can learn all about the history of Israel and all about their culture. It, it was primarily not wood that he had to deal with. He ate only whole foods, which is great. It helped him be healthy and to grow strong. None of the process or artificial junk had been invented yet, which I wish it wasn't invented now. Uh, he ate whole grains vegetables, fruits, you know, leeks, onions, melons. He ate all these things. He, he had fish that he, he got from the shore. He was, a, he, was, he was in Nazareth, but it was close to Galilee. It was part of the Galilean region, region. A lot of fishing went on there. So he had good fish, varied fish. He had other lean meats like lamb and, and other meats that, that, they, that would be clean for them to eat. So Jesus grew physically. But he didn't grow physically to become the next Galilean ninja warrior, right? He wasn't growing so that he could be a professional athlete. But he did have to grow, and he did have to maintain his body. He had to, he had to treat his body well. He did not sin against his own body. He did not neglect his own body. He actually strived to be healthy. But being healthy doesn't mean you're good-looking. And I, I wish that was true for me, I wish I could do that. But it's not about his looks either. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, listen to what this prophecy says about him 700 years before he was born. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. I don't know another way to say it. Jesus, on purpose, was not cute. He wasn't handsome. But, but just think about what this means for us as human beings. Think about how good this is for us that we have a high priest, a king, a lord, a savior, that put on a body that wasn't more impressive than mine. He, on purpose, was not attractive. 
He didn't have that whatever the kids call it, the drip. Yeah, he didn't have any of that. He on purpose came as a human being and not an impressive human being that we would look at him and think, oh, why? Why did Jesus choose this in his humanity? Jesus wanted to love God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. And in his strength, talking about his human body, he loved God with his body. He wanted to be healthy enough to do every good work God called him to do. And the same is true for you and for me. God created us to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. A lot of people know this. We were created unto good works. You can't do good works without your body. Do you know that God gave you your body as a gift? And it's not, you don't even own it. I know that's countercultural right now. Your body doesn't belong to you. It's a gift to you, to steward. It's on loan to you. And your body is the only body you're ever going to get. Now, our technological advancements in medicine, I don't know where it's all going, but I know this, God intended for this body that you and I, each of us have, our bodies, this really, this body belongs to God. And God wants us to be His witnesses. Acts 1.8, He's called you and I to be His image bearers, to bear His image, to show the world who He is. And we cannot do that without our bodies. We, we are embodied beings, and we can't escape it. And our bodies are important. They matter to God. Now, I know there are various reasons for being unhealthy, and we better not judge our neighbor in this area. Uh, when, Courtney, when we found out Courtney had a brain tumor, and this tumor was wreaking havoc on her body, there was nothing I could do, there was nothing my wife could do to improve her own health. It was frustrating to a point that I don't know how to explain to you. It was discouraging. It was like, what's... And, and people around us, you know, they wouldn't necessarily know. So my heart aches for you. There are people in this room with conditions, with circumstances that are outside of your control that affect your health. I'm not talking about that. No one's judging anyone here. All we're talking about is what we do have control over, and the Bible tells us God gave us a body and we ought to take care of our bodies, to steward our bodies. Why? Because when, and you guys know this, just as much, and I'm preaching to myself here, when we're physically unhealthy and our bodies aren't functioning right, we don't think well, we don't feel well, and we don't have the energy to do what God created us to do. And that's not what God intended. That's not what He wanted in designing our bodies. Our bodies were designed to be physically healthy. If we're going to love Him with all of our strength, we must not neglect the care of the only body He's given us. And we know a little bit about physical health as human beings. We know that physical health revolves around three activities. It's not, there's going to be no diet pill, there's going to be no special thing. All human beings, for all time and forever, we will have these three activities that our physical health revolves around. Eating, sleeping, and physical activity. There's no other way around it. There's not a shake. There's not a program. There's nothing. Eating, sleeping, and being physically active is the way that God designed our bodies to be what He designed our bodies to be. And if we don't respect these divine designs we will acquire great physical debt 
with a high compounding interest that we will start paying on before too long, and some of us know this very well, our life will be hindered by unnecessary illness and restraint if we don't take care of our bodies. And the worst part is, if we're unhealthy, we cannot participate in everything God has designed us and called us to do. Now, physical health is not more important than spiritual health. We know this. The Bible actually says that. But if we neglect and ignore the stewardship of our bodies, we are not living in the humanity that God called us to live in. Jesus grew physically and he became strong. He grew in stature and that is God's design and desire for you and for me. Because of this broken world, our bodies will weaken and atrophy, right? I mean, I've been trying to work out more, and this left knee just hates me. It just like, it aches, and I get on the elliptical, and I'm like, this is a low-impact thing. Why is this happening? Or I'm trying to do stuff my shoulder. I don't know why it's always my left side. Maybe I don't use it enough. But my left side is just not working right. My hair is not growing as much on my head as it used to. I just... I'm really discouraged about that. I mean it. I hated that my hair won't grow. Courtney, you know, uh, apparently we, she went to Hogwarts, and so we have rosemary oil that we put on my head. We put it on for the first time. I did that. Why did I do that? Because I want my body to work right, and it's not working right. Jesus can relate to that. Now, I shouldn't think too much about my hair, but I, I do care about my body, and this body is broken, and it's eventually going downhill. I've got enough older friends. I know what's happening, right? I know what's coming. I hear about it. I've heard about it many times. It's going to happen to me. But let it be because of the curse and not because of our laziness or neglect or gluttony or just like, who cares about this body? We may not be spouting the, uh, the message of the world that this is my body and I can do whatever I want with it. But if we don't take care of our body, we're preaching that, whether we admit it or not. We're saying that. And so God designed us to be healthy. Jesus grew up and became strong. He increased in stature. That's implication number one. Implication number two of Jesus' humanity is Jesus developed skills. Jesus developed life skills contribution. He developed these skills over time. You know, Jesus was born into a family of humble origins in the town of Nazareth, a backwater town, a very small town in the region of Galilee. He, he wasn't in some great place. And his father, Joseph, was a craftsman, meaning he worked with raw materials like stone and wood. And it's believed that Jesus learned the trade from him. We, we learned that Jesus uh, was a craftsman as well. In the time and culture that Jesus lived, being a handyman, working with your hands, being able to use tools and develop uh, or create furniture or uh, help build structures or assemble pieces together was very important for them because in a community, in a society, you need a skill in order to contribute. That's why people pay you. You learn this skill, I'll learn the other skill. We'll pay each other for these skills so we can all live. God created us as a community so that we could serve one another. Nobody was meant to do everything for themselves. Uh, that's what got Satan in trouble. 
That's not what we were designed for. We were designed to be in community, in fellowship. Handymen worked with stone. Handymen worked with wood. That's a lot of people say carpenter, although that's maybe not the best translation of it, but it's such a tradition now, you almost can't break it. Everyone thinks Jesus only worked with wood. That's very unlikely. But he would have worked with wood too. So he would have created a, a simple household object like bowls and spoons. Now, a lot of those were built with clay, made with clay. Wood is very sparse in the Middle East. You would not waste wood unless you were making a very expensive, nice bowl or something like that. So most of it was made with clay, but he would have used wood. He would have mostly used stone. You go to Israel, you'll find a lot of rocks. They use stone for everything. Everything we have that's been left over was made with stone or clay. You hardly see anything that's left over from wood. And so as a young man, Jesus would have likely assisted his father in his work as a contractor. Think of Jesus like a contractor of our day. That's, he developed that skill on purpose. He worked with his hands. And that gave him a unique connection with the people around him because he was a contributor. He wasn't just sitting around somewhere knowing everything and then waiting to make his move when he was 30. He actually worked hard. He sweated. He did things to contribute to his neighbors. And like Jesus, we were made to develop and use practical skills. If you want to grow in your humanity, you got to develop skills. You've got to use those skills for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what God designed us to do. In Colossians 3, verse 23, speaking really to servants and obeying their masters, but think workers, any employees, Paul then writes, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Use your skills, develop skills, practical skills, contribution. Don't be a consumer, be a contributor. God designed us to grow in stature, each of us, even if we think, oh, I'm already all grown. For the rest of your life, you are going to use skills, and God designed you for that to be a contributor. That's His design. The fact that Jesus was a hardworking craftsman is significant uh, because it shows that He came from a working-class background and he could relate to the toil of labor that Adam brought upon when Adam first sinned. Practical skills are part of what makes us human and part of God's design. So that's implication number two. Implication number three from Jesus' humanity, and one of my favorites, is that Jesus understands our temptations. Because Jesus put on a physical body, he knows what a physical body feels like. Now, this is really significant. Because uh, I used to do addiction, I was a part of addiction recovery ministry where you would deal with, uh, you know, a lot of crack addicts, heroin, meth, all that kind of stuff. And there's something unique when someone else has been down the same dark valley and Jesus has helped them when they share their story. When you've walked in those shoes, you have a unique ability to relate to someone, not because your knowledge is greater, not because you've read more books about it, but because you feel it. You've experienced it. There's no ignorant blind spot of, oh, yeah, you just need to do this, fix it. There's a personal, intimate, I know what that pain, what that struggle, I know what that discouragement feels like. I understand it and I felt it. 
Jesus understands our mortality. And it goes beyond physical health. It speaks about physical morality. Listen to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? I mean, think about that statement alone. Don't you know that your body, your human body, is like a temple? It represents the dwelling place of God. It reflects the image of God. It sends out a message about God. Your body is significant to God if you're going to bring Him glory. And this, this could not be more countercultural today. You are not your own. For you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. I know the world is preaching a different message, but the Bible is very clear. Even your own body does not belong to you. You are not the ultimate authority of your own body. God is. One day I'm likely going to end up going to prison for saying that. But you know it's true. And as much as the world wants to be stiff-necked and rebellious and cry out against it for their own autonomy, we are created beings. We don't own ourselves. We didn't make ourselves. We don't own ourselves. We're not deciding whether we go to heaven or hell. It's not up to us. We cannot save ourselves from the wrath of God that we've earned. We are created beings that belong to Him. And if you're a Christian, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Your own body belongs to God. And that may rub against some people's pride. But think how wonderful that is. That God bought you. The one who created you and loves you owns you. Hand over that ownership back to Him. Stop crying the, the outcry of the rebel. Embrace your Creator. Your body does not even belong to you. doesn't matter what anybody says or how they feel. Our bodies belong to Him. And what, what we do with our body matters to God. So glorify God with your body. And He understands when we struggle with this. He knows what it feels like intimately, personally. He understands it, not just intellectually. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, speaking of Jesus, it says, For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus understands our brokenness and our temptations. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you hear that? Jesus sympathizes with you. He understands how difficult it is and loves you. He understands the struggle and the fight and he cares about you. He does not just say, oh, just do better. You should do better. That's not his attitude. That's not his heart toward you. That's not his disposition. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He's been tempted. In any way you've been tempted, whatever category that is, he's been tempted. He's been tempted sexually. 
He's been tempted to eat when he knew that the Father wanted him to fast and he committed to fasting. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty and he could just call on the stone to become a bread, uh, to, to become a loaf of bread and he could eat it right then and there, just out in the wilderness. And he fought against that temptation even though his body wanted to go left, his spirit, his soul, he knew the Father, what, what God was calling him to do. The Holy Spirit led him out in the wilderness and he knew that God wanted him to turn right. And he fought against those temptations and turned right. But you better believe he felt temptation. Every fiber of his body, every cell in his human body wanted to eat and drink and he chose not to. In every way that you've been tempted, he understands that pull, that drag, that draw. He knows what that is like. Yet he never sinned. It's not a sin to be tempted. When he, when he put on humanity, that was not a sin. He put on brokenness. He put on that weight, that burden, but he never gave in. So you and I, when we think, does God care? Does God know? He knows, and He cares, and He's able to sympathize with your weaknesses. You know how your body's falling apart, and you just can't wait to go to heaven? God knows. He knows what it's like to suffer. He, know, he knows what it's like to be disabled, to be nailed to a cross. He couldn't move. He was pushing every bit just to breathe. He knows what it's like to die. He knows what it's like. He knows that pain. And in his humanity, what that means is we can come to him with our brokenness to a, to a God and Savior and Lord and High Priest who ministers to us on behalf of God, on our behalf to God. He, he understands that's what Jesus' humanity means. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus and his humanity is calling to us, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He understands. Jesus wanted to glorify the Father with his body, and he did. And he connects with us and understands our weaknesses, but that's not the main reason why Jesus became a man. The main reason Jesus grew in stature, grew up, became strong, is because he was preparing to die. Jesus planned to die. That's why he became human. He came so that he could die for you and for me. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, therefore, speaking of Jesus, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. He had to be really human, not fake human, not half human. He had to be really human so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. You know what the penalty is for our sin? Death. You know the only price that can be paid to cover our sin? Is the blood of Jesus. God cannot die. God cannot bleed. 
Jesus had to put on humanity so that he could die for you and for me. And he had to become like us in every way. So that he can not only be our high priest, but that he can make atonement. That word atonement means covering. It means like a payment. I've paid your debt. It is covered. It is full. Paid in full. We're done with that. Jesus died to give us eternal life. You could say, Jesus loved you to death. Jesus loved you to death. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Speaking of Jesus says, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus' humanity is part of the good news. If I ever ask you, hey, What's the gospel? And you give me any other story than the story of Jesus dying on the cross, I'm just going to be so upset with you. (laughs) The good news of the whole world begins in the Bible. At the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, there is God creator who created the heavens and the earth, and he created the first man and woman. He created human beings. And we know them as Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. And they disobeyed God. They sinned against him. They rebelled against him. They wanted to be like him. In their pride, in their selfishness, in their temptation, or her, Eve was deceived and Adam knew what he was doing. They sinned against God and that sin, the payment for that sin is death. And all of us are sinners. We were all born sinners. You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to be selfish, right? You don't have to say, now look, this is how you lie and this is how you get your way and this is how you don't like what mom's making you every single time. You don't have to teach them that. They come... ready for that. They were built with that nature. We were were born sinners, all sinners. The, The book of Romans tells us that through one man, sin entered into the world. And Isaiah tells us that our sins have made a separation between us and our God, and our our iniquities have made a separation, but our sins have hidden his face from us so that he will not hear. That's bad news. And that's the reality of us. In our sins, if we die this way, if we die separated from Christ, we will stay separated from Him forever. But that's not the end of the story. Even though God gave the law and God made a people and He raised up a people, God did everything He could do to raise up a people to follow Him and we were all rebellious and stiff-necked and we just downhill. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son God sent His Son Jesus to the earth, put on flesh, suffered, lived through this life, never sinned, died on a cross so that He could be the payment for our sins, so that He could save you and me. And when He rose on the third day, He rose from the dead, like He was fully dead and He rose from the dead on the third day. He proved that He really was who He said He was. And the good news, it's good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can respond to that message. If you repent and believe, if you repent and have faith, you can receive that salvation. You can be forgiven of all your sins. And that's what God wants. God wants a relationship with you. The the main reason why he hasn't returned, Peter tells us, it's because 
He's not, he's, not, he's not delaying. It's because he desires for all men to be saved. He is, counting, he is drawing people to himself. He wants to save people. And so there's one way to respond to the good news. And it's actually part of the good news because you don't have to work for it. The way, the only way that God has given us to respond to this message of God the Creator who created us and us and our sin that separates us from God, there's one way for us to respond, and that's repentance and faith. It's two sides to the same coin. Recognize and change your mind that I am a sinner, I am separated from God, I don't want my sin, I want Jesus. Jesus, I need you, please forgive me. And if you place your faith in him, that doesn't mean you believe Jesus is real. Even the demons believe Jesus is real and they shudder. That's not what biblical faith is, not just acknowledging he's real. Demons are not going to heaven. They believe he's real. They know who he is. They used to serve him. Biblical faith is, I trust you. I love you and I want to follow you. I don't want my sins. I want you. I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. My trust is in you. You are the only one that can make atonement, that can cover, that can pay for my sins. And the Bible says, if you do that in your heart, you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, you know that he's your only sacrifice to pay for your sin, and you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you will be saved. You can be saved. And you know what? God left us here on this planet with physical bodies so that we could tell others about who he is. The reason why you still are alive here and not there is because God designed you and me to use these bodies in our humanity so that the world would know this great news that God came to the earth. He suffered and died and he invites all to come. Any who is weary and heavy laden, anybody who feels the guilt of their sin, who knows they're not right with him, anybody, you don't have to perform any works, you don't have to do any crazy, just repent, turn from that sin, change your mind, know that that's wrong, confess that you need him. If you place your trust in Jesus, you will be saved. And that's what we need to be telling the world. They need to know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you put on flesh. You came as a, as a baby. I don't understand everything you went through. I don't understand your patience. I don't know how you could s- subject yourself to your enemies and suffer and die. But I know that you have And I thank you that you are merciful and gracious, you're kind and patient. And I pray that you would help us to share your good news with the world. They need to know you, not us. They need your message, your story of what you did 2,000 years ago. And I pray that you would burn it inside our hearts to share the good news with people. We are lost in our sins when we don't know you. There are people, billions of people dying, separated from you because they don't know or they haven't heard. Help us to be your hands and feet to share your good news with the world, to share your love with them. We want to worship you with our whole lives. Would you help us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.